was that God made you to love you. This week's theme, the first of our five purposes, is that we must love Him back. Just as God wants you, and it brings Him pleasure to know you, so He wants you to know Him, and for you to get pleasure from knowing Him. And so, we, as we read in those words, one day Jesus asked, Jesus was asked, what is the most important thing to do? And this was the reply, love the Lord your God. This is the first and greatest commandment. Jesus said to the man, if you don't get anything else, get this. Everything else will find its rightful place if you get this one right. You're supposed to love me back. The word for loving God back is worship. Forget about all the usual things you think of when we use the word worship. Worship is simply loving God back. Putting Him first. My first purpose in life is to worship God. And there's a space for that if you're using the outlines. One of the greatest verses that defines worship is this one from Romans. Let's read it together. Because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to His service and pleasing to Him. This is the true worship that you should offer. You'll look at this verse in more detail this week in your small groups. So we're not going to spend much time on it now. Suffice to say, two things by way of introduction. Firstly, worship is my response to God's love. Worship is the way I react, the way I respond to God when He loves me. Notice it says, because of God's great mercy. This comes at Romans chapter 12. For the first 11 chapters of Romans, Paul has been writing about God's love for us. It's the story of the gospel full on with lots of the small prints in there as well. The fantastic news of God loving us even though we didn't deserve it, sending Jesus to die in our place for the sins of the world. And so in those first 11 verses of Romans, you get some of the great verses that we know of the gospel. For the wages of sin is, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ. So worship is my response to God's love. Because of His great mercy, because of all this that I've been saying in these 11 chapters, Paul says, now love God back. Offer Him worship. And just like everything else in life, you notice that God has taken the initiative. God always, in everything, makes the first move. This is not our story. This is God's story. He makes the first move. He created us. He saves us. He forgives us. He uh, blesses us. He protects us. And in response to all that God has done, He longs that we would love Him back. Notice what that loving God back is. It's about offer, offering. And that's the second point. The second thing about worship is giving back to God. He gives to us. Worship is when we give back to Him. And whenever you give back to God, whenever you offer God anything, that's what we call worship. When your kids 
offer back something to you, it thrills your heart. When we offer something back to God, it thrills his heart too. Question left though, I guess, is what on earth can you offer to a God who's got everything? It's that whole Christmas present dilemma. What on earth do you give somebody who's got everything already? What do you give back to a God who owns the very universe in which we have our being? I'll tell you what you give back to God. You give back to God your love. You give back to God your love. It's love that matters most, and it's your love that will touch his heart. We're the same, aren't we? Made in God's image. When my children give me a gift, especially something that they have created, what touches me? The brilliance of their artwork? The sheer uniqueness of their imagination on the page? The perfect execution of lettering? No. As they bring a picture, the identity of which is hard to fathom, and the writing is all over the place, and the paint is still wet and dripping, what touches my heart? It's the love with which it is offered. How much more with God? We can't possibly offer him a gift to which he'll say, wow, I never had one of those. Just what I always wanted. That's not what he's looking for. He's not looking for you to impress him, but he's really looking for you to love him. And so Jesus said the most important thing is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. God wants us to love him in three ways. To love him with all of our minds, to love him thoughtfully. To love him in a way that engages our intellect, our intelligence, our rationale. Second, God wants my love for him to be passionate. He wants me to love him passionately. Love me with all of your heart and soul. That's pretty full on, isn't it? I don't write those words to many people. In fact, darling, I only write them to one person. Can't remember her name. It's full on. All of your heart. All of your soul. This is no kind of casual affair. The first thing, love God with your mind. Love him thoughtfully. Love him with your heart. Love him passionately. And then thirdly, love him practically with all of your strength, your abilities, with who you are, what you do. Even though God created the universe and everything belongs to him, these three things he does not have unless you give them to him. He doesn't have your attention unless you give it to him. That's loving God with all of your mind. He doesn't have your affection unless you give it to him, loving God with all your heart and soul. And he doesn't have your ability unless you give it to him, loving God with all of your strength. And so we're going to look at these this morning. Loving God with my attention, my affection, and my abilities. Loving God with my mind, my heart, and my strength. So here we go. Number one, worship is focusing my attention on God. Loving him with my mind. My thoughts focusing on him, giving him my attention. Have you ever prayed on autopilot? Have you ever gone through a whole worship service on autopilot? Thank you, Donald. Have you ever driven on autopilot? Yes. 
And you get to where you're going and you think, my goodness, I can't remember anything about that journey. How scary is that? How scary to go through life on autopilot, not focusing on the one that it is really all about. God wants us to go through our life with him in focus. He wants us to focus on him because he is already focused on us. You have looked deep into my heart, Lord, and you know all about me. You know when I'm resting, you know when I'm working, you notice everything I do and everywhere I go. God has focused his attention on us and he wants us to do the same in return. Sometimes guys will say to me, you know, my wife, my kids, they say I don't love them. And I don't understand why my wife and my kids don't understand that I love them. I do everything for them. I go to work for them. I earn money for them. Where does the house come from? Where does the car come from? Where do the holidays come from? Why do they still say they're not sure whether I love them? It's because they want your attention. They want you to focus on them. And that is the most powerful expression of love that we can do for another human being, to focus our attention on them. And God puts his attention on us and he asks us to return the compliment. Kerry says that sometimes she thanks God for the safe return of my body. What she means by that is that sometimes I get home and I might be physically sitting at the dinner table, but my mind is still somewhere else. I'm still not engaged. The lights are on, but nobody's at home. God is always focused on us. The lights are on, and he's definitely in. And he wants to teach us to focus our attention on him, and we find that difficult. We find it difficult because of our selfishness. Romans 8, verse 7, in your outline. We find it difficult because of our selfish culture. Romans 12, verse 2, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. So how do we do it? How do we live a life where we are actually focusing deliberately our attention on God? That's the very least he deserves from us, surely. Well, it's a choice. We choose to focus on him rather than on all those other things that we would so easily become distracted by. And how do we start? I think the starting point is this, for living a life that's focused on God, and that's to spend a few minutes every day with God. We call it a quiet time. I don't care what you call it or where you do it. But somehow at some point in the day, we push everything to one side and we say, God, this day is yours. And I'm focusing my attention, my life all over again on you. That's not the end of it, but I think that's where it starts in those quiet moments. In Matthew chapter 6, God is, uh, Jesus is speaking to uh, the Pharisees and so on, and he's, <clears throat> and he's making all kinds of comments about people's show-off kind of spirituality. People who are praying in public to be seen, people who are, are praying big, long words, not to impress God, but to impress others. And then Jesus says these words in Matthew 6, 6, and I love Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, which I think really captures what's going on here. Find a quiet, secluded, secluded place. So you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and as honestly as you can. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. That is a wonderful moment when the focus begins to shift from you to God. 
and you sense his grace. That's where a life of worship, a life where our attention is focused on him, really begins. You might want to circle the word place. It can be any place, but it needs to be a place. <clears throat> Excuse me, where is your place? Early in the morning, is it a quiet corner? Is it in your car on the way to work? Perhaps even some place at work if you get there early enough. Corner of your living room. Where's your place? Circle the word simply. Because that's how God wants us to come. Sometimes we confuse it with all kinds of complicated things and we worry far too much about what God will think. Am I praying right? Will God think my prayers are stupid? No, he'll be absolutely over the planet that you're there. He'll sort out the rest. He's not worried about whether you've got the words right and whether you've got the order right. Should I pray first, read my Bible, second? Am I reading the right part of the Bible? Is this praying long enough? Wow, we get so stressed and God is just thrilled that we are there. And then circle the word honestly. (laughs) Be yourself. That's why you've got to go to a private place. Sometimes even in those private places, we're not always honest with ourselves. Be yourself. Be yourself. I mean, can you imagine, you know, your children all the time playing to an act, never able to be themselves when they're with you. How does God feel when we put on a show? Maybe we kid ourselves, but he's not fooled. Place, simply, honestly. The first thing we can do to live our lives where our attention is focused on God. And these 40 days are designed to help us do that, day by day. Then the second thing I think we can do is what's uh, sometimes called constant conversation with God. For some of you, constant conversation is not a problem. Uh, Put it to good use. Constant conversation with God. Uh, The Psalms talk about worshipping him continually. The NIV puts it, seek his face always. Keep in constant communication with with him. Think about him throughout the day. Now, friends, you've got to decide to do this. This doesn't happen accidentally. You've got to determine to do it. People do it in different ways. Some people set their watch to go off every hour, and the bleep of their watch is a reminder just for a few moments, God, this is your day. I'm focusing on you all over again. Some of you, maybe every time you get into your car, you pray for a few minutes. Seeing the way you drive, that's a jolly good idea. But you use getting into your car as a prompt just to offer a few moments to God and say, God, this day's yours. I'm focused on you today. Use a screensaver. Every time you reach for your keys, every time you dial your phone, every time you send a text, I don't care what it is. God doesn't care what it is. But something to trigger in our minds. This is God's day. I'm going to focus my thoughts on him today. This day's for him. You say it's stupid. It's forceful. It's not uh, natural. You're absolutely right. It's not natural. It's very forced, because that's where it begins, with a bit of discipline. When you first try and do something, you need discipline. It is a forced action. If it came naturally, we would not be having the conversation. It's because it doesn't come naturally that we do things today that force us into a different pattern of living. We know it's good. We know it will benefit us. We know it will bless God. We want to do it. So we force ourselves to do things that get us into a new pattern. We pray that it doesn't stay like that. Remember what we said at the pre-week a few weeks ago. Discipline becomes a habit. I want the day when it becomes natural for me. 
To live every moment focused on God. But it is not natural for me, so I need to do things that encourage me, that discipline my life to do it. If I never make that act or choice of discipline, will it ever happen? Not in a million years. Is it natural? No. Could it become a way of living? Yes. Get into the habit of, God, this is your day. I'm in my car. I'm traveling for you. God, I'm going to this place for you. I'm getting up in the morning. God, I'm getting up for you. This is your day. I want to live my life, my whole life, focused on you. What a difference, don't you think, to have lives focused on God throughout the whole of the day. You see, when you focus on yourself, the inevitable results are worry, insecurity, anxiety, guilt, fear, discouragement, all those things we love in our lives. But when that focus shifts away from us to God, all of a sudden we begin to sense that grace that Eugene Peterson was talking about or trying to express in that verse. We begin to sense gratitude and hope and confidence and love as we fix our gaze on Jesus, the the beginning and the end, the one who calls us on, the one who loves us, the one who's got our lives completely safe in his hands. What a difference to be focused on him through every moment of every day. Sing with me. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Oh God, would you do that in our lives? To be focused on you. Eyes turned towards Jesus. Every moment of every day, we make it our prayer. Not only is worship focusing my attention on God, but it's more than that. It's expressing my affection to God. Loving God with your heart and with your soul. For some of us, this is kind of difficult because we grew up in environments where affection and real expression was not the name of the game. It's not what we were encouraged to do where the words, I love you, were scarcely if ever spoken. And so this is particularly hard if you've grown up in that context. And I have to say that I'm constantly amazed and alarmed by how many adults I meet who have never heard someone say to them, I love you, I love you. Is it any wonder that we're walking wounded? Maybe some of you remember those early days of young love, behind the bike sheds at school, all that kind of stuff. Donald was there, obviously. Sorry, Donald. (laughs) When you first notice the opposite sex, and you think, hmm, I quite like. I quite like. What did you do about it? First of all, absolutely nothing. Did you talk to the girl you fancied? Absolutely not. Scared stiff of being rejected. What if they didn't like you back? What if they mocked your advances? So school kids become highly skilled at being secret agents. And you send your best friend to go and talk to her best friend. Find out if she likes me. 
And then maybe after a few attempts at that, if it's still coming back positive, you might send your best friend to go and actually talk to the person in question. And if that still comes back positively, you're still weighing it up in the balance, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? But after enough favorable responses, you think, oh, maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll actually say it myself. You know, the great thing about God is that he's taken away all of the risk. He has said already, I love you a thousand, thousand times. You can say to God today, God, I love you with absolutely no risk of him rejecting you, mocking you, ridiculing you. Why? Because he loved you first. Hallelujah. We love him because he first loved us. In Exodus chapter 34, way back in the Old Testament, it says in the NIV, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. It's the language of a jealous lover. God wanting our attention. God wanting our affection. Not wanting our attention or our affection to go anywhere else. And so the Living Bible puts it like this. He is the God who is passionate about his relationship with you. And yet we turn worship into ritual and duty. And we miss the point of God's heart, which is relationship. Imagine I buy flowers for Kerry. Quite hard to imagine, <clears throat> especially for Kerry. You can find the number of the flower shop in three places on my phone. F for flowers, G for get out of trouble fast, and I, for I haven't got a clue what to do next. Imagine I buy some flowers and, uh, and I say, darling, here are some flowers. Looks like I'm looking at Andy and Sally now, so they're a bit embarrassed. I won't do that. <laughs> darling, I'm giving you some flowers for three strategic reasons. First strategic reason for these flowers, darling, is that you are my wife. Second strategic reason is that it's our anniversary. Third strategic reason is that the culture in which we live says that a husband should give a wife flowers on their anniversary. Would she be thrilled? I don't think so. She doesn't want duty. She wants desire. Hope. She doesn't want form. She wants love. And sometimes the way we do our Christian faith the way we do church with our nice ordered services, you would think God wants ritual and form. And all he wants is love. He just wants our hearts. Forget about learning the new song, for heaven's sake. I just want your heart. Forget about whether it looks right, or you do it right, or it's all sorted, and the order of service gets followed, and it's all printed, and the grapevine's out, and God's in his heaven. Forget about all that stuff. I just want your heart. I just want you. Let's forget about impressing God with our church attendance and our generous contribution to the offering and the things we do for him. Out of sometimes for all of us some sanctimonious kind of duty, the things we do because we're supposed to. Is God thrilled? I don't think so. Our hearts. And as I said, for some of us it's really hard. Because the whole expression of emotions and affection and so on has not been the way we've been encouraged to be. So how can I begin to express my affection to God 
Well, if you've never done it before, I suggest you get started just by saying thank you to God. Make it personal. Just start saying thank you to Him. Thank Him for the day. Thank Him for the air that you breathe. Thank Him for the beauty of the sky. Thank Him for the wonder of the night. Thank, you. thank Him for the green trees. Thank Him for the fact you're still breathing. Thank Him for the fact that you're not freezing to death somewhere right now, that you've got food in your stomach. Just start by thanking Him. Appreciation is like water in the desert. It's true in our human relationship. It's true in our relationship with God. It's a great way to start expressing your love to Him. And I know some of you are thinking, I, I just don't know. I just don't know whether I could ever love God like that. In fact, I can't really ever imagine loving God like that. I'm not sure I could ever love God enough. Do you know that's actually not your problem? Your problem is not that you can't love God enough. Our problem is this. We've got no idea how much he loves us. We've got no idea how much he loves us. If we really knew how much God loves and cares about every detail of our lives, we'd throw ourselves at him. How could we not love a God like that? See, worship is always a response. We love him because he loved us first. And the more we understand how much he loves and we're approaching Easter again, the more we'll long to love him back. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you you made me to love me and you long for me to love you back help me love you today with all of my heart with all of my soul maybe today help me to begin just by saying thank you by saying thank you And so worship is focusing my attention on God, it's expressing my affection to God, and then finally, it's using my abilities for God. Loving God with all your strength. You see, God wants us to see Him with our minds, to sense Him with our hearts, and to serve Him with our strength. I've been married long enough to know that it takes more than words and kisses to express affection. I try and tell my family, each of them, each day, that I love them. But that's not enough. That needs to be backed up day after day with the offering of my strength and my abilities to serve them. Sometimes there are jobs to be done. Sometimes there are responsibilities to be shared. There are nappies to change, kids to bath, rubbish to go out, all that practical stuff, homework to help with, games to play. Sometimes there's a listening ear, a shoulder to cry on, somebody to laugh with. 
And so we say to all of those people around us, by the way that we serve them, you know, guys, I mean what I say. When I say that I love you, I mean it because I'm living my life to show you that I love you. I'm here for you. And that's worship too. Not that we come to God on Sundays and say, God, I love you, but God, here is the whole of my life and the way that I live tomorrow. I want it just to show in the way that I serve you. I give my strength towards your things that I love you today. And so we get this verse. That whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though you were working for the Lord and not for people. A worshipping lifestyle is not changing all the things you do. It's changing who you do it for. It's not changing what you do, but it is changing who you do it for. We must get out of this compartmentalizing of our lives. Here's my worship on Sunday and in my small group and maybe for those 15 minutes that I spend on my own in my quiet place day by day. And then over there's my career and over there's my social life. God says, no, I want all of your life to be worship of me because you do it for me. You do it for me. There is only one thing that you cannot do for God. You know what that is, don't you? That's sin. Stop it. It's naughty. You can't do that for God. Everything else you can do for God. Whatever you do, do it for Him as your worship. Give it all to Him. You can be a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker. Do it for God. You say, God, I'm going to do this and I'm doing it for you because I am. Carpet cleaner, a lawyer, a nurse, a mother at home, whatever it is, doesn't matter. You see, we get hung up, don't we, as Christians about what does God want me to do with my life? In a sense, we're looking at that overall question, but sometimes we ask it about our jobs and different situations and it becomes a big stress to us. What does God want me to do? That's the wrong question. God has a much more important question. He says, I'm not as bothered about what you do as you are, but I'm really bothered about who you're going to do it for. So if you're good at repairing things, get out there this week and repair some stuff for Jesus. And if you're good at cooking, get out there and cook some stuff for Jesus. And if you're good at filing, get out there and do some filing for Jesus. 24 hours a day, we worship him because it's for him. And so this lovely paraphrase, take your everyday, your ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, your normal kind of stuff, and place it as an offering to God. It's for you today. This is for you. Make beds for the glory of God. Milk cows for his glory for all I care, but for his glory, for him. Everything can be turned into an act of worship. Imagine that this week. Imagine this week Wouldn't it be an incredible answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray that a little bit of heaven comes down on earth? Pray that his will would be done uh, on earth just as it is in heaven. A glimpse of heaven here on earth because all we choose to do this week is being done for his glory. What if you decide that tomorrow you're going to get up and you're going to go back to that job that you've done for 10, 15, 20 years, but tomorrow you've got a new boss. You're going to do it for him. You're going to do it for his purpose. Wouldn't that turn the mundane into the meaningful? And so we make it our goal to please him. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you. 
I take every moment I'm awake. Lord, have your way in me. Let's stand together. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I Spend a few moments of quiet just making our own response to God. He wants us to love Him with our minds, to focus on Him, to love Him with our hearts, passionately, to love Him with our strength, our abilities.